Hey, what up Long Beach? Welcome back to your home for everything local sports. It's the 562.org and we have an extra special podcast for you this week. I am JJ, he's Mike, he's Tyler, and we're about to be joined by one Don Wallace, a poly guy who actually got famous by writing a book about poly football playing De La Salle. It's called One Great Game. It was released just after that game happened right here in our fair city, the first time ever a high school game was uh, broadcast on national television and the first time ever it was a national championship game between the number one and number two teams. That's the book I read when I got to college at Long Beach State that got me interested in poly football and trying to get involved in it and stuff like that. And then obviously this week is such a historic week with poly playing Los Al. It was like a perfect time to bring on bring on Don, who, Mike, you and I, we've had lunch with this guy. We just kind of hang out with him. He's cool. But when we tell people we know him, they're like, wait, you know Don Wallace? Yeah, um, we told him, I told him in the interview, as you'll hear in just a minute, but, you know, uh, Stephen Barbie, the coach at Poly, mentioned to me how important that book was to him. I do want to emphasize, because he's delivered to us, at the end of that interview, he mentions that there are some free codes to check out that new Audible audiobook edition of his book. Uh, and if you do reach out to us, I think we've got 10, and we'll do first come, first serve in terms of a free code to listen to that brand new audiobook. So definitely uh, hit us up about that. Well, and when it comes to big games at Vets, which we know we have coming up between Polly and LaSalle, how can you not think back to the spectacle that was Polly versus De La Salle? Uh, 17,000 fans. They added bleachers on the other side. As a kid there with my dad, that's one of my, you know, I wouldn't call it like a favorite memory, given that I was obviously rooting <laughs> for the Long Beach team. But as it's a, a guy, memory. But it's certainly a, a memory, and it certainly shaped how I view the sport of football, and, and it obviously is a big turning point for high school football across the nation, not just in Southern California. And, and we definitely talked with Don about that for sure. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about how it was kind of the beginning of the end of the way we all looked at high school football, the way we grew up with high school football. Uh, like I said, reading that book and reading about how Long Beach Poly had built its football program in, uh, in a public school way and how De La Salle had built its program in a private school way. You know how different those things are, how different those communities are when they come clashing together. It really is the perfect juxtaposition of different ways to skin a cat. You know what I mean? Different ways to get the most out of what you're trying to do. And usually what you're trying to do when you have a good football program is make better people. You know what I mean? Make sure that people are better than they come out than when they come in. And, and those two programs have proven time and time again that they just, they just make better people. And it was so great to read that book. One great game. Again, check it out on Audible right now. Um, to, to, to see that from the eyes of somebody who grew up in Long Beach, which is exactly that, right? So many different groups of people from different backgrounds and different takes and all that stuff coming together and making something beautiful. And that's really what that whole experience was for that game, right? The ability to say high school football has now taken the next step to be on a bigger stage. It's our pleasure to welcome on Don Wallace, one of our uh, favorite guys out there, Polly alum, author, uh, zooming in from Hawaii, but uh, it, most importantly and relevantly at the moment, the author of, uh, of One Great Game, uh, an incredible book about the first ever football national championship between Long Beach Poly and De La Salle back in 2001. Uh, one great game now available in a new edition, new audiobook edition on Audible uh, for its 20th anniversary. And uh, Don, first of all, thanks for hopping on with us. We really appreciate it. I'm so happy to be here. It's the second best thing to being um, actually in Long Beach. So thanks. We're gonna. I've got some like we'll, we'll put some backdrops up, you know, and I'll, maybe we can send the, the the lack of humidity over your way for uh, for a couple of weeks here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, all right. Well, Don, uh, you know, your book, we, we, we talked about this on our last podcast and I'd seen your Facebook posts about Audible bringing a new edition out. And it was just sort of occurring to me in the 20 years since that Poly De La Sao game, really everything has changed about high school sports. And I, I know that's our job. It's not your job, but it's like, if you look at like LeBron James's kid and what Sierra Canyon basketball looks like, and, and as the mm -hmm. NIL stuff has moved from college into high schools, we just see this faster and faster acceleration of sort of the professionalization and more and more media around high school sports. And it, it just kind of occurred to us, your book really is a ground level detailing of, of where that stuff really started accelerating. So do you have a sense of that as you sort of, I know you, you weren't really looking to write that story, but you kind of stumbled into this bigger century long story about high school sports. Well, you know, um, First, we're, we're, we were totally in a hinge moment in 2000 and 2001. And um, at that time, I was working, I had done, done a startup for the New York Times called Golf Digest Woman, part of the Golf Digest empire, which might seem as far as from Long Beach as you can imagine. But I was also the private writer for a guy named Mark McCormick, who is the CEO and president of IMG, the uh, sports talent agency. And of all things, McCormick was totally obsessed with Long Beach. He loved Long Beach and he loved sports people from Long Beach. He'd signed a number. He loved uh, Laura Baugh, the golfer who golfed with my sister. Yeah. And that's one reason I could hang on to a job that everyone got fired from. So I was interfacing with sports agents a lot and um, sitting around shooting the ball, which was pretty um, amusing to be in New York City doing that. And, but I was missing Long Beach and frankly, I don't like golf. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was hired because I was the only one who could really do magazines and sports magazines and knew, I knew the sport because my sister, Ann Wallace was a champion and like a 14 year old, probably a state champion. And my father and my sister and Laura Baugh and others had sued the CIF right. and it became part of title nine. So, Here's this world, but you know, I'm hired because I know everything about golf. I'm a lousy golfer. I'm talking to Tiger Woods as coaches. I'm writing columns with all the stars. And secretly, all I want to do is, you know, watch football and write about football. Well, they sold the company uh, New Year's Day. And uh, and they, they sold it, got a lot of money. And I'm sitting there going, they offered me the job at the new company. And I said, do I really want to do this? And at that moment, a chess set arrived from my niece, wrapped in the Long Beach uh, Independent Press-Telegram sports page with the notice <laughs> showing that tiny notice that Long Beach Poly ranked number one by, you know, the, uh, uh, who was it? It was the, uh, the Chicago yes, tight yes. end guy. Yeah. Um, so anyway. The, he, the, yeah. The, uh, the, the Buckus rankings. Yeah. The, the Dick Buckus has his own national yeah. poll, which is like. <laughs> Almost farcical, but right. um, it was a legit hand, poll at that time. Though. Yeah, <laughs> right. It was a legit poll for four yeah. or five years, and it, right. this is why the window, why it's such a great hinge year. The window is immaculate. It, any other thing happens, it doesn't work. And that's the way the whole story rolls, as you know. But it's worth considering that they had never really tried to do a, um, a number one football game. And I went into the history. I went into the archives. But really, everyone just wants to be the champion of their first of their town, and then maybe play their rival in the next city, and if they have a state championship. And then, of course, there's the exception of Texas, where football is 
is so insane that um, it, it resembles a foreign planet and I have visited there. Um, but in this case, I'm reading about number one, Long Beach Poly has signed to play a game in October with number one, De La Salle, Concord. And I thought Concord at that point had to be Concord, Massachusetts. You know? <laughs> I mean, right? That's where the right. American Revolution broke out. So of course, right. I had, and I structured in my head in about a three minute span, a pitch to my agent to pitch um, to publishers. And, um, and I wrote it down and if you're a writer, you notice like, you have great ideas like about every 10 minutes and they all fail, you know, one or two come through. And she was really not into football and sent it to her. And she said, well, Don, I don't know. Let me just ask a couple of people. And like 10 publishers said, we want it. Wow. And all of a sudden I had to do it, but I, you know, there was no internet in those days. You couldn't digitally research anything. So I'm, I'm having to come up with all this stuff. So then I quit the job and, um, I said, I'm gonna go back to Long Beach and I'm going to uh, rediscover my roots. And here I wanna say that my family, you know, you know, my uncle Ramrod was on the very first Poly Squad of 1907. Yeah, I, oh, we've got, wow. the, we've got the pennant. Yeah, let me give the <laughs> brief Wallace family history is that as Tyler and I are doing the research for our book about the history of the school, the, the yearbooks are just rotten with Wallace's. You know, back in the back in the, back in the in the golden years, Don. <laughs> Rotten is the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the sports history. It was uh, the family came out from uh, North Dakota and started yo-yoing, which people did in those days in 1890, 1895. Started taking the train. They'd come out to Long Beach for the summer, and soon they're staying for the winter, going back to Minnesota, going back to North Dakota. And all the big Wallaces, the six foot four and five Wallaces, came to Long Beach and stayed and played. And that's, <laughs> and I am the shortest male in the family. Um, and of course, uh, I, I took a lot of ribbing and gro human growth hormone, but um, <laughs> didn't work. Um, the only thing it grew was my ego. No, um, so, so to get back to the hinge notion of this book, you know, everything changed because I was at IMG, I could reach out to the NFL and they had just started a website called NFL High School. I could reach out to ESPN and I could say in a, in a pitch, cold pitch, just say, we have a high school football game between two teams ranked number one. It's never happened before. And I started that probably February of you know, 2001 and began that weekly process of warming them up and sending them little notices. I knew absolutely nothing about what I was writing at that point. You know, because I started, I finally figured out Concords in California and, and the publishers were really upset. They wanted it to be in Texas. You know, they wanted it to be in Ohio. Uh, Canton, Ohio, please. Um, so any rate, um, I then come out and start the research and I, you know, really I go back to Long Beach and, you know, and, and going back to Long Beach, it sounds like an irony because my family is still there. Um, but I had left Long Beach at 18 to got a job in Northern California and worked in a winery and went off to college at Santa Cruz. And I turned down a walk-on spot at Stanford to play football. And I went to Santa Cruz without a football program because damn it, I wanted to be an artist. And, um, and all I did at Santa Cruz my first year was play pickup football, you know? <laughs> And the next four years, it was like, who's that guy out there? He's always there. Get rid of him. Um, 
So going back to the hinge again, and you can interrupt me anytime. As we got this thing moving, in the end, by the time the game went off, there were 4,000 media credentials issued from around the world. We had teams from Japan, people from Japan, you know, people were coming in from London um, and they were clueless, uh, which is of course true of the media, correct? Sure. Uh, the, the, yeah. the, the media from out of town, for sure, Don, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but you know, and it was my brother-in-law, Brian Lundgren, who went to Loyola, and, you know, he just ribs me all the time. And he was the one who, who said, well, you know what this is, Don, this is Catholics versus convicts. And that stuck, of course, and everyone repeated it. And it was a real slur and it was infuriating. And believe me, there are people who basically live that creed, who, who have gone to Catholic schools. Their purpose in life is to annoy you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's my brother-in-law, you know, I love, I love him, you know. Um, so you have the hinge moment, you have the, the networks, the internet is new, it's picking it up, it's rolling. Um, it's a high school game and Friday Night Lights had come out, you know, nine years before, but the movie had been stalled, I think. Right. Uh, you know, and, and they had a great script, but they couldn't get it made, they couldn't get it made. And it, they already had articles saying, the great failure of Friday Night Lights. And really it was a surprise, but right now we're in a period where everyone is following high school football rapidly. Like I'm in Hawaii. Hawaii football is bigger than uh, University of Hawaii football. Yeah, yeah. Um, they show it as, as they do in the West Coast, it's on television. Um, and in many respects, it's a better game, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's the other part of the hinge that we're talking. And, um, so what finally came together was the media, the teams, thank you, Dick Butkus, um, two number ones, and a kind of natural educational class racial standoff. You have, yeah. you know, you're right. And now JJ, please speak. No, no, because when we talked well, the first time I met you, this was basically our entire conversation, uh, not to uh, interject myself into the story, but I was, I'm a recovering Catholic. I, I was raised Catholic, now recovering. And I also played football for a football team that was not in the uh, quote unquote middle class area, right? I, I drove to the other side of the tracks to play football. So I had both of those things in my life a lot when I came to Long Beach, when I found your book and I read it and you had the part pretty early in it about Catholics versus convicts. And I was like, holy crap, that's me. So being, being able to read that book and show the experiences of both the private school and the public school kids, can you talk a little bit more about that, the differences in how those two elite football teams prepared for the biggest game in school history because they're closing doors and not letting you in to one of them. And that wasn't Polly. <laughs> well, no, I'm going to do, I have to immediately uh, differ with you, you Catholic reprobate you. Um, <laughs> here's what happened. I went to De La Salle and I had written a letter on paper. I had made phone calls and I had an appointment with the um, Reverend Brady and um, Reverend Brady, of course, is Tom Brady's uncle. And, and as everyone points out to you. So I walk in and this is my, really my first experience inside a Catholic environment other than a couple of funerals and 
having a priest when I was a kid walking to school on Orange Avenue pop out of St. Anthony's and hit us with, which, with what I assume was a missile. He was hitting all the public school kids who were chasing the Catholic kids. And this was a battle, a scrum when you're like nine or 10 years old in front of the Catholic school, you know. It's wonderful, uh, that's life. Um, so he just looks at me and he says, you went to Poly. And we have coach Latticer and we have coach um, Gary Edson, the defensive guy who's a, basically a bulldog. How could, why would we ever let you even on our field? And I said, well, it would make a terrible book if I came here to be a spy. <laughs> and, you know, I'm actually here to learn all I can about you and to present it in the best and most positive and honest way I can. Which you and, did, which you did. I wanna, I wanna say that for Thank sure. You. And, and, you know, so that's the Catholic side. And to me, it was the perfect setup. Growing up in Long Beach, you have the, the, the polarity growing up in the Southern California. Um, the stories I could tell, like our battles with St. John Bosco, when they locked the JV team in the field on a hundred degree day at halftime and there was no water. So we scaled the fence and the only water we found was the um, Virgin Mary fountain that was burbling away. So you have all these guys, you know, black guys, Samoan guys, Hispanic guys in uniform, crawling over a fence and drinking from the baptismal font, as far as I know. <laughs> That's biblical. Uh, I'm picturing this was, right now. This is wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have to scramble back. They were so upset. Bring, bring me your meek. Bring me your thirsty. It's, it's right there in the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then we have the public school side. And as, as you know, my mother, Elizabeth Wallace, was on the school board. She was appointed when I was 14, about to enter poly. Uh, they always had a spot for a woman. And because of the riots in Newark and the Watts riots, and because what was called de facto segregation, meaning all the black students were at Poly and they were not distributed equally, the uh, federal government was part of it, you know, the Department of Education was taking over school districts, Detroit, Newark, that had this problem. And they were good. They came to Poly, uh, to Long Beach, and they said, we don't like it here and we're going to take the school district out of your hands. So my mother went from being the rookie on the Board of Education to the president in a year, because she was the only woman and she'd gone to Smith. She majored in education and social work. She'd been rising in the community. She'd done all this stuff. She, she was there for 21 years, right? And what was happening at Poly was what was called white flight. And um, it was not a desired location in those days, the school. It was, Overdramatic to call it a war zone because no one had AK-47s in those days, but it was it was also a dumping ground for teachers who were not uh, interested and were kind of timing out on their careers, and they would choose Poly and they chose to teach the lower division classes and it was an educational nightmare. And my mom just she was a graduate. My dad was a graduate. My dad's sister was a graduate. Um, you know, grandfathers, uncles, aunts, going back to, you know, 1902, I think, 1905, whenever. And we couldn't stand without a poly going down. And my dad went out and my mom and they found all these people in the community and they formed the Long Beach Interracial Committee and they turned it around. And so what was always interesting to me was that poly, by the time I came back, had ascended to being actually studied by McKinsey and Company as one of the 20th, 20th best public school systems in the world. 
that when I was there, it was at the edge of disaster. And, right. um, and so. Well, and Donna, you, you and I yeah. have talked about this, but the stuff that your mom yeah. and the PCIC advocated for, mm -hmm. like remarkably is still in place. And a big part of why Polly, you know, obviously has been yeah. such a different school for the last 50 years, but Pace and CIC is academic magnets, international ambassadors program instead of prom queen and queen. I just covered that two weeks ago. Um, Polly North, you know, race relations camp, like all that stuff that they, that they put in place 50 years ago is still there. You know, it's kind of, it yeah. is kind of a remarkable story that uh, you're a little bit of a Forrest Gump in the story. You know what I mean? Like you, <laughs> yeah. you happen to be your mom's son. <laughs> I, I'm running. Right. I'm running. I'm always running. Uh, yeah, I was the first student member of the um, Interracial Council, but I want to go to JJ's question of how they prepared, because uh, this is a football conversation too, and it, it ties into how Long Beach Poly and the Long Beach Unified basically have built themselves into a, a true beacon of public education. Um, they don't take anything for granted, they don't take days off, and they embrace the right values, and at De La Salle, when I arrived, and remember, I'm a guy who played football from 1965 through 70, right? Holly um, High School, you showed up, you hadn't been lifting weights, you'd been eating whatever you wanted, you ate at Jack in the Box every day or Taco Bell. Um, at De La Salle, even in, in, by the year, probably by 1992 or three, when the school itself was you know, 10 years older, 12, the, they had programs from nutritionists. They had programs from um, sports uh, physiologists. Every player reported um, in the new year, got weighed, measured, and then was given a computer generated chart with food, diet, workout for 355 days. And your goal was to gain 20 pounds and to do all the plyometrics and jump and, and turn yourself from an average sized tweener kid from the suburbs of the Bay Area into a, a kind of a RoboCop football player who you, you didn't have an off switch. Uh, you were so well-trained. My expression was after I saw my first De La Salle game, which is different than reading about it, was one, the first three minutes of a football game was like watching a buzzsaw, just going down a, a sheet of plywood, you know, no team could withstand that. And um, so that kind of preparation was at that point unknown. And that's why it's a hinge game and a hinge book. Because after that game and after the book and after everyone said, well, we've got a copy of this, then the professionalization that Mike was talking about, which was already you know, in, in the works, suddenly it started. Yeah. Boom, boom, but boom. but has, it, has it surprised you, Donna, the last two decades surprised you by how much that stuff is accelerated and, and taken off with technology and everything? I guess that was a, probably a better version of the question I tried to ask to start. Am I surprised? You know, honestly, no, because when I saw Carmen Carmona a running back from one school get upset because he wasn't starting and he transfers to another school, and they say, no, you can't do that inside the year. And his father sues. And the court says, oh, we don't know what to do here. Uh, he's got to play. And then he gets pissed off and he goes to a third school. This is the first time it ever happened. And it happened in that season. And I think if you want to see where it all came down, including the O'Banion brothers at UCLA suing the NCAA, 
Um, that's the pebble that rolled and it because Southern California is such an enormous sports fishbowl. Um, and it's, you know, it's better than Texas, believe me, because Texas is kind of monomaniacal and Southern California has all the advantages of culture and different ethnicities and stuff. Um, no, I'd we believe you it. on that, Don. We believe you yeah, on yeah. that. You don't have to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't need it's, convincing on the uh, on California right. versus Texas thing for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just love it when Texas loses. Um, sure. Yeah. So was I surprised? No, but okay. Here we are today. I'll tell you what I am surprised at because um, there's an analogous team to uh, modern day, which I compared in the book in Hawaii called um, St. Louis. Right. And everyone, everyone knows high school football knows St. Louis. Um, Ron Lee. Uh, and his brother, Cal Lee, brothers took over. They were UH coaches. They came back to, they turned St. Louis into a clone of modern day. What that meant was hoovering up every player of talent they could. Right. So the squad is 140 people and they bring them out on the field and do the Monarch March. Their name was the Crusaders, but they even had the, the uniforms. And so St. Louis, of course, produced Marcus Mariota, you know, and a bunch of other stars um, to, a, you know, right. and, 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 you know, those examples um, resonate. Well, what happened this year was all the hot recruits fled St. Louis and went back to their home schools, their public schools, Campbell, Waipahu, Kapulei, Mililani. They also fled Punahou, which is the, the right. Barack Obama public school, which has all the money. And, um, you know, St. Louis has a losing record for the first time in 30 years. And De La Salle's um, six yeah. and three and Polly's 10 and oh, you know what I mean? And right. obviously <laughs> modern day and Bosco are still sitting yeah. pretty in Southern California, yeah. but we're starting to yeah. see that reversal a little bit as well. I was going to ask you because I think there's a, it's a strong cultural component right now in our culture. Uh, so it's happening. Yeah. People, yeah. Kids, kids are talking about, I'd rather be with the people I grew up with, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, uh, yeah, I, I do think that's beginning to happen, though, uh, to Mike's point, those obviously those two teams are still one and two in the nation. Um, Don, from your perspective, I mean, obviously, we've talked about, uh, you know, how much high school football has changed in the past two decades. Uh, you, you said earlier, it's better. Uh, and I would agree with that. I think the quality of the football is certainly better across the board. Um, do you think that the product is better uh, two decades later, having a one versus two playing in a league game, you know, having some of the um, these out of state trips be so common where you're playing multiple teams from another state uh, when you're some of the powerhouse teams. Is that sort of diluted the, the spectacle a little bit when it's just kind of so regular now? Well, you use the word spectacle. Yeah. I mean, uh, Neil Young had a song, you know, when so many love you, is it the same? Um, we, we've kind of, by, by allowing high schools to become professionalized, and honestly, I, I don't see a way it could have been prevented because sports parents are insane. Um, they will move across country without even contacting De La Salle and move into the neighborhood and bring their kid. Um, but yeah, I, I think everyone who's a, not just a complete like nutso uh, Vegas line kind of guy, wishes the game was was a little calmer, a little purer, that kids weren't carrying all the ambitions of men, grown men on their shoulders, that high school coaches weren't getting paid 200,000 a year, while at Poly, they were actually, the assistant coaches were getting nothing in, in 2001, that the quality of the game 
you see stuff you never would imagine. Like I was watching a replay of St. Francis versus Kahuku, the big Kahuku's like the, the Samoan. I love Kahuku. Beach, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Kahuku. Kahuku is my Hawaii team. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Go Red yeah, Raiders. <laughs> they've got the vibe. And let me tell you, they play like on a, on a field that's it's often raining. The ocean is right there. Yeah. Um, it's all pickup trucks surrounding the fields. Um, and uh, but I was watching the game and just the skill sets of the receivers, the, the timing throws, um, the, the jet sweeps, the counter plays. It's being run immaculately. And some of the and this was by St. Francis, too, which is, a, of course, a Catholic team, I think, out in Maryland or something. St. Francis, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're, the kids were not giants. They were just really well schooled. And I, I don't recall we didn't have a jugs machine that fired footballs at your hands, right? We had to throw with mom and dad and then brother and uncle. And then on the field, um, <clears throat> we didn't have the uh, ability to train ourselves, nor did we really want to. We wanted to go home and party. We wanted to go home and hang out and drive to the drive and you know, do all those things that, that kids do. And then we wanted to get in trouble. Another thing you, you know, so. Um, but the quality of the game in football at any moment in time, and it can be two teams that aren't even that good, you'll see stuff you never would have imagined. And I'll just point out the poly problem, which the football team was terrible the year I was there. I think it sent five to seven people, Division One, <clears throat> and yet we had a losing record in the Moore League, which is how did that happen? Well, it was discord. It was also a brand new coach, and he did everything wrong. He, he challenged us mentally. He said, you guys are, everyone says you're stupid. Everyone says you're dumb. Well, when you say that to people on your first day, you know, you set a tone. Um, and, um, but the main thing was, and the reason why that coach was there, even as bad as he was, was the year before I can remember, all we ran was the USC run heavy eye back formation. And which meant off tackle, off tackle, dive, off tackle, off tackle, dive. As long as you had the linemen, as long as you had the running backs, you you could win. You know, you, it, we see it. But the fact is that Wilson, in particular, and Lakewood, were about three or four years ahead of us. They had discovered the forward pass, and um, which sounds really stupid. Polly had early <laughs> color. Polly had Gene Washington. But we had gone into retrograde, and I think because we had a, a USC coach uh, on the staff at that time, and I think because. Uh, Coach Matz, who I loved, um, loving little short guy, short football guy like Hank Stram. Um, I think he was stuck as it, it, USC wanted Polly to feed them certain players. And we, were, we honed our system to that. And um, it was, sounds odd, but like linemen from Bixby Knowles and you know uh, other neighborhoods, Cal Heights and stuff, would go to USC. My brother-in-law, Bob Headley, went to USC as a, as a tackle. Um, running backs, you know, defensive players, never a quarterback. And what you do is you, you kind of like um, the team becomes like a subcontractor to Amazon. And, you know, you lose your ability to kind of be adventurous and, and do stuff and learn. And also you're, you're vulnerable to these outside teams. So both Lakewood and Wilson came in and were just throwing, you know, they'd throw on first down, which was considered a sin to Polly, you know. We only threw when it was third and 20, you know. 
Well, the yeah. quarterback threw for uh, 2,900 yards and uh, and I think 40 touchdowns or something so far this year. So times have changed yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Don, yeah. I wanted to ask you about I, – I have a memory from a conversation with you, but I wanted just for our Polly fans who are listening to this, this will be like catnip for them. Did you tell me that if Polly had won, the game was going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated? Oh, yeah. Or Polly was going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Specifically, Polly. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, Sports Illustrated contracted with me that I would be um, writing with that. I forget their guy, you know, the all-purpose guy who wrote everything for 100 years, every big story. He was in town. And, you know, big guys like that always hire a leg man and a, and a guy who's on the scene. So they hired me. Right. Um, and um, they said, OK, when it's as soon as it's over, you know, we own you. And, you know, we're going to turn that around. I've been in magazines. I know how it works. Sports Illustrated. Um, they take the photographs, they charter a plane and they fly it back to New York. They develop it, bam, you know, you would have been on that week. They had scouted the cover. They had done mock-ups of the cover on the campus, which I think all of which diluted the energy and focus of Polly. Mm. And so it's catnip. And I'm gonna to go to the catnip side too, because you know I have my personal catnip about the game. And um, first play of the game, what happens? Everyone's thinking, Polly will run, they'll sweep, you know. Um, Brandon Brooks drops back the 5'9 quarterback and he throws a bomb. De La Salle is caught. They have no coverage. The ball lands in the hands of, and the first time Polly's playing 10th graders, they hadn't been playing 10th graders. You know, they always heard Davis used to say, 10th graders ain't ready. And his hands are there, balls in his hands. And, if you've ever played and you had that feeling where you feel like a word, a torque coming up your body, you can't control it. Like, oh no, no, it's like a tremor, an earthquake. And all of a sudden the ball's out of his hands. I believe and that was uh, Derek Jones. If oh, I'm- Oh, uh, Mike, Mike, throwing out the name like that? Don was I'm, specifically I, not trying to say the name. I was not. Also, also- No, but that's part home, of the story because he becomes an NFL player. Everybody at, <laughs> everybody at home uh, cannot see this, but Mike and Tyler just got- physically uncomfortable <laughs> as Mr. Wallace was telling that story. Hey, I, told I, Don, I, I, I told Don, it, it took me, yeah. it took me 10 something years to read his book because that was my, you're talking about the media hype and the buildup and all that. That was my senior year of high school. And it was the entire city was it solely focused. And, you know, like you talk about Texas, it was like the way it is in a movie, you know, set about yeah, high school football. Yeah. Reality is not usually like that. You know what I mean? But it was right. like, I, I lived over by Milliken and the school bus that would take me home or to our stop, we'd pass Winchell's and they would have a sign outside that says, go Polly. The Winchell's Donuts place oh. by Milliken, right? I mean, it, it just, it was. And so, yes, that uh, I will never forget the specific feeling in my stomach when Derek Jones dropped that ball. I've talked to, I've talked to him about it. I've also talked to Rob Schock, who has an anecdote in our book Mm -hmm. Rob was the uh, is now the athletic director of Polly, but he was the trainer for the football team at that time. Rob put on because they had the Oakley sponsorship. He put on an Oakley visor for Derek Jones and right before the game. And Derek Jones came to the sideline and said, I lost it. And the, the lights glared off of the glared off of the visor and Rob took the visor off. So he had the visor in for, I think, two plays. 
including that drop. <laughs> and Rob Shock to this day will make mm -hmm. the same face Tyler and I just made if you bring that up mm -hmm. to him. It is a like enduring painful thing for him that he was part of that in some small way. I, re I remember when the Oakley rep showed up, it was a big deal. You know, Polly was practicing on a field that had no grass and it was famously unfit for any game. And all of a sudden, you know, you're across the street from VIP Records, you know, Nate Dog, people are, the sidelines of Polly were a carnival. And um, as you know, and, but, and that was another aspect. De La Salle allowed no human being on the sidelines who the parents had to sit there were bleachers behind, the real bleachers behind the practice field. The parents had to go up to the highest row of the bleachers, you know, 40 or 50 feet high and peer over the top and watch practice. And um, different era. <laughs> we, considering, you know, so here's my, the rest of the Derek Jones uh, thing. When DLSL lost the following year, um, you know, in, against uh, the school up north, which was at Bellevue, very first play of the game, they run a trap to J.R. Hasty, son of the famous Jets cornerback. The blockers hit De La Salle's over-aggressive 85-yard touchdown. And they go on to just take him out of the game. And every time De La Salle seems to lose, they lost to Granite Bay, I think, in the States. It was like first or second play of the game, boom. And, and this is what happens when you have a super team that, however, everyone is stretched so tight and performing so well, it's like a German car. Once it breaks, it's in the mechanics forever. Right. And if you break well, it- Well, and, and the offense is not suited to playing from behind, obviously, you know, because sure. they run the clock so much and, and, yeah. and everything with that system. So yeah, yeah. 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 Could, have, could have been a, talk about a hinge point. A lot of things are different if that ball um, lands in his hands. Don, Don, before we let you go, I do want to uh, talk a little bit about this because we talked about this last time we hung out. Um, yeah. Raul Lara is still coaching in the local area. He's now at St. Anthony, um, won a, uh, got, got that team to a CIF championship, won a league title already. Um, they're rebuilding a little bit. But it's really great to still have uh, Coach Lara around, a great person, let alone one of the best coaches I've ever been around. But going to Poly as a kid, trying to figure out if I could write football in Long Beach, where do you start? Obviously, Long Beach Poly. I was very intimidated by going to Long Beach Poly football practice the first time. That had all happened on television for me. That was another world that I didn't know about. But I wanted to get into there because of reading your book and other things. And Raul Lara could not have been nicer and more cordial and more open and honest and like, hey, you want to write high school football? Let's go. Come to practice every day. And I did for a while. And I watched that grown man make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for his players because they couldn't figure out how to eat. You know what I mean? That's the that's yeah. the poly yeah. I knew. Can you talk to me a little bit about what it was like meeting Raul Lara, a babe in the woods at the time when you met him, his first yeah, like his season third, on, the, like his third on the job? Yeah. What was it like meeting him and seeing him work through that process? Well, you know, um, <clears throat> I had grown up admiring him a couple of years behind Jerry Jaso. Um, and he, he I actually, like the way a kid does, I'll model myself on Jerry Jaso. <laughs> Jerry Jaso, um, the, the yeah. undefeated uh, brawling champ of the Wrigley, from what I understand, but probably <laughs> really? factoring into that uh, admiration a little bit, right? Yeah. 
but he was always a clean cut looking guy. You know, you look, uh, Jerry, Jerry, we still love you, man. And also he's a surfer. Oh, yeah. You can't. Yes. And, um, but the thing was the shock of Jason abruptly leaving for a city college job. You know, he topped out on his uh, Long Beach Unified salary. All of these details I had to figure out because all the other, you know, it was such an unkind atmosphere. Like, oh, he's running away from the biggest game of his life. He just said to me, I've got kids going to college next year. I, what am I going to do? We're stuck. Um, so Raul comes on and, you know, a if it's a poly coaching change, you know, it's just going to be like an apocal battle. Um, you think January 6th was bad, you know. Uh, and, 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 you know, people are very unkind. This is the thing about a public uh, inner city school is that people will let their emotions out and they will let her rip. And they also, if you feel vast waves of emotions and rumors and currents flowing, which can have a very divisive effect on a team. I couldn't imagine being Raul Lara. He was, he was quiet, he wasn't a big guy. He was always calm. He never shouted. Um, he had a great number of similarities to Bob Latticer, you know, uh, except Bob Latticer had this whole intellectual you know, upper class veneer. And at the same, it was the most amazing uh, one line, Rodney Dangerfield of football you've ever seen. But Raul's sincerity was so disconcerting. He actually freaked Latticer out. The night before the game, he called him. And he said, hey man, I'm just feeling really nervous. And this is so crazy, how are you? And Latticer tells me this in this note of incredulity. He says, he called me, he called me. Do you realize I've never had an opposing coach call me the night before a game. And I said, so well, and he said, okay, he's a really nice guy. You know, uh, he was more than a nice guy. That place was a zoo. It had multiple fighting coaching strategies going on. And your typical public school, you're constantly feeding in new players, old players. Players are going to jail on the weekend. You know, we had that one guy who absorbed much too much energy on the team who um yeah that name gonna, i won't say we won't mention that one because he, <laughs> he was a leader of a gang um and you know de la Salle had to, and these were kids who often traded when they got up in the morning another child took their bed and slept you know and i once sat down with latticer and, and terry edson and just basically gave them the what for for the things they were saying and i said you don't even know what kind of life these guys have. They're not gangbangers. They're not this, they're not that. Yeah. Raul Lara is, is giving people a reason to live. Um, you know, he's, he's setting them up with a structure. He cares more about giving them a structure in their lives than he cares about the football game. And, you know, you say you do that, but he does it with people who are in extremis and you are doing it with, you know, middle-class kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no one, it, when I went to Dallas and talked to the kids and said, what's your dietary regimen? They said, steak. You know, like, like, oh, that's it? Yeah, yeah, well, mom feeds me a steak every night, you know, it's pretty nice. Coach yeah. says. Right. Know, um, the kids would, we have that hamburger place just down from Polly, you know. Um, that guy, would, he was serving out, he was serving out special deals to players he knew couldn't afford to eat. And yep. that is Long Beach, man, Long Beach. People were feeding players because they didn't have enough to eat. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, well, before we let you go, I wanted to pass on uh, a, a note. JJ's talked, uh, I know JJ's mentioned you a couple of times and spoke eloquently today about the significance of, the, of, uh, of your book to him. But um, I was just at Polly this morning and um, we had mentioned on our last podcast, we're going to have you on. The, the current Polly coach, Stephen Barbie, uh, mentioned to me that he had read your book two or three years yeah. before he got the job. Um, and I think it loomed pretty large in his imagination too about what the role of services and um, you know what that what the community there was like deeper than just sort of what you hear about with NFL alums and stuff like that. So um, he's a good dude. We're we're certainly glad he's in the city, and uh, and I guess we've got your book in part two. Thanks for that as well. So one great game on Audible, a new audio book. Uh, let me just get one last <laughs> plug in there, and then you can close out. Or did I take yeah, your give plug? Us the plug? You no, were give plug. us the plug, Don. Oh, yeah, I was supposed to call an audible, remember? <laughs> uh, so, so, guys, uh, I have a couple of free promo codes. If you're if you you don't even have to be a member of audible, uh, get in touch with Mike or JJ and um, we can send you a promo code and you can listen to the book for free. Um, nice. The, I want to say, Coach Barbie, you're doing a wonderful job. I've been following it the whole way. Um, I'm just admiring the heck out of it. Glad you lost the sweater, but the sweater was a great move in the early days. Um, and, and really, he's glad he lost it too, I got to say. Good luck. Take it to the house. Take it to the house. Oh, Don, I'm not even going to tell him you said that. I'm going to let him listen to that on, on his commute home. Uh, Absolutely. Okay. And I, I'm going to be coming, coming and looking for you guys uh, next time, okay? Heck All yeah. Right. For Please sure, do. for sure. Ring us Thank up next time you're up. Thanks so much, Don. We appreciate it. And again, check out One Great Game on Audible. Great book. Not my favorite night of my life, but uh, but it really a beautiful book about the culture and the history of Long Beach, uh, more so even than the football game. So check yep. it out for sure. Okay. One, one great interview as well, Don. Thank you. Thanks, JJ. Good to see you, man.